Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Today I want to go over a couple of concepts here regarding how to learn. And this was inspired by an email that I just got last week and also from a much older email that I got back a couple of years ago. And I went back and reviewed them and and this most recent one. And I thought you might find it interesting as well. So first thing I want to do, well, before I even get into the topic for today, I want to say I'm really excited. Do you, do you remember when you were a kid and you'd order like sea monkeys or <clears throat> those x-ray specs or... Um, I ordered live seahorses one time out of a comic book and how excited I was checking that mailbox every day after school, hoping that my seahorses had arrived. Actual seahorses. I think they only lived about a week, uh, but <clears throat> that was the sort of thing you could purchase through the mail back in those days. And, uh, boy, it was exciting waiting on the, the package to arrive. Like uh, the time I ordered 25 live chickens through the mail. That was fun. And uh, that one they called called me and my mom drove me to the post office to pick them up. Anyway, it's exciting waiting on a package and I'm waiting on a package right now from Luthier's Mercantile. Um, some fret wire, some binding, some glue, some other odds and ends a mandolin tailpiece. I've finally decided to get off my rump and finish this F5 that I've had in the works for a very, very long time. I, and I think part of it, my part of my inaction, and you know, this may apply to some people regarding their playing too. Um, part of my inaction has been fear of screwing it up. It looks so good at the stage that it's at. Essentially, the body is constructed, the neck is constructed, the fretboard is made, but not fretted, not glued on yet. Everything is squared up. It is ready for binding. And there's that fear that comes in, that one wrong move, and you know you could knock a big chip out of it or somehow destroy the thing. And so, you know, you just have to get over your fears. And uh, I've decided, what the heck, it's time to bind this thing, come what may. Because, you know, a mandolin that is 90% complete, doesn't have the binding, doesn't have the finish on, but you've done some of the inlay and all the, the majority of the sanding and shaping and carving and gluing and you know all that is done and you look at it and go wow this looks really good and then you do the final two steps and it sometimes doesn't look near as good as you thought it did you know like crummy finish work can destroy what was otherwise a perfectly good thing i'll give you an, an analogy <laughs> beautiful analogy i heard not recently Imagine that you have one million gallons of the most, the finest quality wine ever produced. 
and you have one million gallons of it. If you then take a gallon of sewage and mix it all together, what do you have? You then have one million and one gallons of sewage unfit for consumption. And you can do that in the final stages of many projects, like the mixing and mastering of an album, like the ultimate performance on stage, you know, practice, 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 and then you got to get up there and actually do it. Or in this case, I just don't want to foul up the binding and, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of hours have gone into this thing. Anyway, I'm really excited. The stuff's on its way here. It has shipped. I'm very very excited about that. So now let's get on to the rest of it here. I'm going to refer. First of all, let me just read a little bit of <clears throat> just a little edited down paraphrasing of this email that I got from Michael, and I've already written him back, and I'm not going to read all this stuff, but. Dear Mr. Laird, I recently stumbled upon your Grass Talk radio and listened to the first few lessons. And I just want to correct you, Michael. They're not really lessons. Uh, you know, they're just sermonettes or sermons or whatever. You know, I try to do my teaching in a more formal way in the books and the videos and courses and stuff like that over on BradleyLaird.com. Got that little plug in there. Anyway, he says, loved him. I'm an Early intermediate mantle player with a dedicated work ethic, excellent, and a passion to persevere. Yeah, what could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? But after a couple of years of piecing together knowledge through various lesson sites and learning fiddle tunes by ear, I realized I wasn't much closer to reaching my goals. Did I even know what my goals were? And I'm just going to now just kind of paraphrase some of the rest of what he said. He, he just has found Grass Talk Radio, and I think he is up through episode three. So those of you who are, you know, have listened to all of them, you might want to go back and listen again, you know. If I skip a week or two, just go back and start over. I think there's some, there's some valuable stuff back in those. Well, and throughout all of them, you just never know where it may pop up. Um, anyway, in... Episode three, can't remember the title of that episode, but it involved uh, the, the concept of self-analysis. And there's a link on the show notes for that episode, episode three, to download a little PDF that's just a, a self-analysis questionnaire. And Michael was kind enough. He's the only person ever to do this, uh, except for my live in-person one-on-one students i've used this thing a lot with them and he said perhaps if i you know send you a copy of the self-analysis and what i wrote you would you know have an easier time of recommending you know what what i might do next and so on and uh i'm not going to go through his whole thing you should however Go back to episode three, go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down to that episode, click that, and there's a link where you can download this little self-analysis thing. Because if you listened way back then, that's been three years ago, things have probably changed. Did you do the thing? Did you fill it out back then? Well, it's time to fill it out again and see, have you made any progress? 
I hope you have made a lot of progress. But anyway, I, I looked through this and, you know, he answered all the questions, you know, how would you rate your lead playing, your backup playing, your sense of time and rhythm, song arranging, composition skills, you know, just a whole lot of questions on here. And it got down to the, the goals. You know, what are your short and long-term goals? And his were to improvise solos on vocal songs and two, to confidently play in a jam and three, to compose my own songs. And I know he's only up through episode three. Um, I would, I, I wrote him back a long detailed email, you know, offering some suggestions and pointing him to some things that I've, that I've put together and just general, you know, advice, you might say, but, um, these, these questions, how to improvise solos on a vocal song. Well, I've certainly talked about that in, for Michael, some future episodes, just look through the episodes and, you know, pick out the ones that seem to have something to do with this confidently playing in a jam. I don't know how many episodes I've talked about, you know, various principles of that sort of thing. And also, um, writing your own tunes and stuff. There's, I know there's at least one episode on that. So that's just for you, Michael. Um, many of the questions that you asked me have probably been answered in a podcast somewhere along the way. It's going to take you a long time to uh, dig through them all, but, and I can't recall what I've said. So, you know, dig through the complete list of, of the podcast and I'll bet you'll find some more um, elaborate um, explanations <laughs> that I can't, you know, that when I sent you the email, I couldn't recall everything I said or whatever. Okay, now let's get to the an, a much older email that I got. And this goes back, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe four or five years. And, and this was, you know, I put the first book out, Mandolin Masterclass, then I did Mandolin Training Camp, then I did Mandolin Excursion, and the Mandolin Handbook. And then I added to that the beginning Mandolin Instruction Course, and that was the core of what I have been peddling all these years called the mandolin learning system. It used to be called the complete mandolin learning system, but since I've added so many new things over, over gosh, now, what, 15 years? The complete, it's not really complete because there's other stuff, and but it's still called the mandolin learning system, and it's still very valuable, but this was before I was selling the video lessons. And then it came down to the treasure chest was, and it's not complete. When you buy the treasure chest, you, you've only got about half of the material that I've put out there. Um, anyway, so going way back, there was a lady who was a bit confused. She first bought, and smartly, the beginning mandolin instruction course. Just a little PDF, got some audio tracks and, you know, teaches you the basics of tuning, playing a few chords, playing some tunes, reading tab and, you know, stuff like that. It's just a very um, basic introduction to 
bluegrass mandolin and a little bit of micro theory knowledge. There's even talk of, you know, scales and chords. It's, it's what I used to call um, mandolin masterclass light. You know, I cover the things because uh, even at the earliest stages, some of that stuff is important, like beginning to think about, well, there is such a thing as the chromatic scale. Okay, so anyway, she went through that, and she complimented me on how organized it was, and the step-by-step -step approach was very effective, and so on. And then she ordered the mandolin learning system, which included master class, training camp, excursion, mandolin handbook, and I'm trying to think what else. Uh, there's metronome tracks and some other stuff in there. She ordered that, and then she wrote to me, and asked me where are the instructions what do i do first what um you know should i learn the tunes in mandolin excursion or should i start with mandolin master class or should i start with training camp and so on and i realized that i did not really lay it out in any specific order i didn't have a you know day by day step by step instruction method for combining all these things. And I'll tell you why. It's because I can't really tell you what to do. I don't want to tell you what to do. And what might work for one person is not appropriate for the next or the next or the next. You all know different things, have different strengths and weaknesses. So really, you have to figure it out yourself. And I, I know if you take lessons and you come to the instructor's house once a week they're kind of monitoring you know what's going on and they will point you in various directions but a huge huge portion of what we learn we don't learn that way we learn just by fooling around you might say and it's slow but it is highly effective and so in response to her i sat down to create a guide write a little document, a couple of pages, explaining, well, you know, begin on page one of Mandel Masterclass and read pages one through nine, then go over to Mandolin Excursion and learn to play tune number one and tune number two, then go, and you know, I was going to step-by-step walk them through the process. And so I sat down to start typing this little guide, which I was then going to include with the package. So the people wouldn't just look, be staring at those books and wondering, well, what do I read first? What do I do? You know. So I started typing, and I want to read to you. I don't like to just sit here and read things, but this is my favorite author. I wrote this up back uh, in response to her. And by the way, it is on my website. If you go to bradleylaird.com, right at the very top, you will see home, bio, and blog. If you click on blog and you go down somewhere on that page, you will find how you were brainwashed. And that became the ultimate title of this thing. And uh, that's up there if you want to um, follow along or anything. And uh, it's full of links to various you know, some of my products and things like that. There's even a YouTube video and uh, some photographs there that obviously I can't 
impart to you through this podcast. And I want to say very importantly that while I am speaking of mandolin here, this applies to learning any instrument or any skill. So just plug in banjo, dobro, fiddle, um, farming, um, running a small business. I, I don't care. Plug it in. The concepts are the same. So let me just read you this thing. And um, it'll be like an ebook version of that blog post. So how you were brainwashed or a guide for using mandolin learning system. Then it says in italics, an email from a confused mandolin student prompted me to create this guide to using my mandolin learning system. I intend to add this document to the folder so that all future purchasers have a chance to read it. You know me, just trying to help. Now, I want to confess, I haven't actually added it, but I figure it's up there on the blog. They could read it if they want to. First paragraph. Welcome to the world of mandolin, and in particular, the way I look at all things mandolin. In this guide, I'm going to tell you a few things about how I think you can make the best use of it. And that was when I was, I wrote that as I was about to lay out this whole intricate plan. And then I sat there and I thought, and I typed this. Killing time in the library. <clears throat> First, I'd like to tell you a few of my thoughts on how we learn. My mother worked at the library when I was a child. Three days a week, she worked until closing time. After school on those days, I would go to the library and just ramble through the books. Maybe I had a little homework to do and I might sit down and do that. Then I might go over to the turntables and explore the 33 RPM records over the headphones. Which, by the way, this is not in the article, is when I first heard bluegrass. Well, and some old time. Anyway, it was right there at the library. Then perhaps read some fishing article in Field and Stream or How to Make a Tin Can Stove in Boy's Life magazine. I just rambled around, did whatever I felt like, and had no plan. I often thought I was bored to death. At other times, I was intensely interested in some book or subject I'd just discovered. I learned more in those years just hanging around the library than all my years of forced education and college. Self-directed learning is what I'm talking about. I believe that most people never learn anything unless they take the initiative, have the curiosity, and pursue it of their own free accord. Formal schooling trains us to follow a lesson plan, an order of thought, a curriculum, and that produces, with mixed results, obedient thought slaves. I don't want you to be an obedient thought slave. I want you to be free. That's why I titled this booklet, A Guide For, instead of Rules For Using My System. A nice lady recently wrote to me after buying the mandolin learning system and complained that there were no instructions. She complimented my beginning mandolin instruction course for being so well organized and progressing in a way that was easy for her to follow. 
But when she unzipped the files of the mandolin learning system, she was mystified as to exactly what to do next. It is my guess that she didn't spend hundreds of days just rambling around a library and hasn't yet, and maybe never will, learned to self-direct. You, having purchased my mandolin learning system, may be wondering some of the same things. What do I read first? What should I play next? Should I work on a tune from Mandolin Excursion? Should I work on some exercises from training camp? Maybe I should listen to the tracks. My next heading, Instructions Schmuckshins. I admit, I haven't given you any instructions. Neither did my mother or some teacher about exactly what I should be doing in the library. It works best that way. Everyone doesn't need the same things in the same order. Detailed step-by-step -step instructions are helpful when trying to install a hard drive or adjusting the nut on your mandolin. Helpful if you just want to get it done and are not really interested in learning. You'll learn more, things that you will retain for a lifetime, if you just think on it, tinker, make mistakes, screw up, and eventually accomplish things. If you are a complete beginner, I think it helps to walk through the basics in a clear and logical order. Tuning, how to hold the instrument, how to hold the pick, how to read the court charts, etc. But at a certain point, I can't tell you what you should do next. If I were sitting next to you in a lesson, assuming you had been taking lessons from me for at least a little while, I would probably have a pretty good idea of what is puzzling you and what you might need to work on. But without first-hand observation of you, your playing, and without observing your progress, it is your responsibility al alone to determine what to do, for how long, and in what order. Regress to your childhood. If you were a victim of the present schooling system, as I was, it may take you a little while to rediscover the things you were born with. As a toddler, you didn't need anyone to teach you anything. You did as you pleased. Yes, you got a little guidance and were pointed towards and away from things, but despite all parental efforts, you followed your own curiosity and learned everything from experience. One great example is how you learn to speak a language with no instruction and before you could read. Your parents just talked a lot and made funny sounds and you figured it all out on your own. Then think about that French class you took in eighth grade. How'd that work out for you? You would have done better just to move to France and hang out for a year or two. You'd be speaking fluent French if you just did what you did and thought as you thought as a baby. Then your loving parents unknowingly sent you off to be brainwashed with all the other children. Soon you adapted to the new conditions and began to follow orders. You were praised when you did as you were told and ridiculed when you didn't. You learned to memorize just enough to get by, and by small degrees, you lost the ability to self-direct. But it's still there. 
You just need to forget some of the lessons you were convinced to accept. Things you probably learned in school. Number one, you are not in charge. A powerful authority figure shall direct your thoughts and actions, and you shall obey. Yes, that sweet second grade teacher was exactly that. Sorry, Miss Smith. Even you didn't know. Number two, you will do things according to schedule. You will work until a bell rings. You will eat when we tell you to eat. You will exercise when we tell you. You will go home when we tell you. Three, you must at least feign interest in the subject we put before you. You must rattle off the proper answers and exhibit the proper attitudes. Attitude is one of their favorites. I could go on and on. I went through this nonsense, and anybody who does is a victim of social planning and mind control. And then I had a little link in the article. You can research it if you dare. The more well-trained you were as a victim and a prisoner in the school, the more you may be recoiling from what I am saying. I understand that. I, too, endured the same indoctrination. This may explain things if you pay attention. And there I embedded a video, which you can watch on YouTube. But uh, since you can't watch it here, I'm just going to play you a little audio sample from this. This is a man who was New York City Teacher of the Year and New York State Teacher of the Year, who then penned an op-ed in the New York Times resigning and explaining why. And uh, he wrote several very interesting books like Weapons of Mass Instruction. And anyway, here's a little bit of John Taylor Gatto. And he's talking about, he makes a couple of mentions of the Columbine incident. This thing was recorded a good while ago when that was still fresh on people's minds. And he talks about the Columbine effect, and I, I just want to note that quite a few years have gone on since then, and it's my theory that a lot of what we see in society uh, were people who were students during, you know, in high school and junior high school back then, and then they became college students, and then they became maybe... Um, waiters and uh, baristas with a PhD and, you know, I don't know. What I'm saying is if you look at what's happening today, you can see its beginnings if you go back a little in the past. Anyway, he explains it far better than I. This is just a little sample of John Taylor Gatto. Okay, so this was what the people of Columbine heard, and my wife was right. I wish I had cleaned my glasses before I start. If you'll allow me to call the mass outpouring of anger and hostility which characterizes our institutions of public schooling the Columbine phenomenon, and I mean not just instances of carnage and arson, drugs and sexual assaults, but the whole gamut of 
generalized hostilities which passed before a teacher's eyes, then a great part of the responsibility for our Columbines can be attributed to the infrastructure of schooling itself. We took the wrong road in schooling about a hundred years ago when we made its disciplines forced and we put instruction into the hands of professionalized strangers. I'm sure many of you here are parents and of course all of you have been students at one time or another. How many of you actually knew anything at all about the teachers who preempted your life? How could that possibly be? It has to be the most radical piece of social engineering or one of them in the history of mankind that you turn your child over to a succession of absolute strangers, and you might say, well, the state knows who they are, and I'm here to tell you they don't. I began as a, <laughs> I began as a school teacher. Now, I think I'm past the statute of limitations on this. I was an advertising copywriter, and my roommate was a school teacher, and he taught one day, and went into the restaurant business. He said, you'd have to be crazy to do that for a living. <laughs> so uh, in between ad jobs, uh, I took his license that he had pitched into the drawer and I started to substitute around. Nobody ever bothered to check to find out who I was, <laughs> who I said I was. Uh, I'll probably hear from the district attorney and, <laughs> and I'll tell him in advance, I'm gonna deny saying this. <laughs> There's another fat guy wandering around who look, looks just like me. So, so we took the wrong road in schooling when we put instruction into the hands of professionalized strangers. We piled mistake upon mistake after that, overemphasizing the training that school could deliver, ringing bells in children's ears, extending childhood further and further into the most vigorous part of life, mathematically segregating kids according to the alchemy of standardized test scores, and finally committing the worst mistake of all, yoking the world of work to the world of schooling, forcing a connection which simply does not exist. And when we come to transcend our Columbines, it will be because we awaken from this self-induced nightmare and act out of two bedrock principles. One, that nobody can educate you except yourself. Surely our universal individual experiences confirm that one. And two, that over-organization precipitates entropy, the disintegration of order. It's a direct byproduct of overorganization. That's a principle of thermodynamics, which translated into everyday life means simply that craziness increases in closed systems shut off from the outside. Washington, D.C. is, of course, a prominent example of this. <laughs> For more years than any of us like to think about, inmates in schools have been shooting each other. Mind you, it is not a recent phenomenon. Since 1990, 
267 people have been murdered inside our public schools. Now, for a long time, the press undertook a gentleman's and gentlewoman's agreement to, to be quiet about this. But of the 267 killed, you don't begin to understand the thousands who have been killed from encounters in school, the termination of which takes place outside of the building. Anyway, or committing arson or planting drugs on their teachers. That only happened to me twice. And avoiding the <laughs> common standards of decent behavior in a number of other ways. All in order to express their hatred of these places. As a school teacher, I can tell you, it's almost axiomatic that when you meet a rotten kid on the street after school, he's usually as friendly and polite as anyone else interested in what you're doing. In so-called good schools with no visible disruption, like PS 87 nearby, the disintegration of civility takes different forms, but it's there just the same. When American schooling stopped being primarily for mental development and character training, as the man or woman on the street would understand those things, it became a training ground to supply the existing economy with a particular kind of labor and customers that it needed. One buried byproduct of this shift was to sabotage free market principles because by conditioning children to what is instead of what could be, it heavily subsidized existing commerce and social political dispositions. It insulated them against future competition by indoctrinating children in what is and how to succeed with what is. Academic schooling of the past did not do that anywhere near the degree that modern school practice attempts. Another thing that happened to schools is they became large institutional analogs to factories is that the enterprise became a colossal works project, one in which passing out jobs became an end in itself, often jobs with the most tenuous connection to the needs of young people. School is training for work or is training to be a consumer, but never an independent producer or to sustain a mandated jobs pyramid. Schooling as any of these things requires tight control to prevent unwanted personal initiative. It requires top-down management. The difficulty here is that education as contrasted with schooling, cries out for self-management. Indeed, it can be argued that the only practical reason to seek education is to achieve this end of becoming a self-manager. And I'm not trying to play word games here. The principle that nobody can educate you except yourself is as old as the hills. You can be trained from outside, but only educated from within. He's an interesting guy. Anyway, let's go back to my article, My Indoctrination. Luckily for me, 
I'm back in my school days, I discovered that my dear old mother understood what was going on. Yes, she followed the rules. She packed my lunch every day and sent me off to school. But at the same time, she gave me little hints that it was all a little silly and I shouldn't get too wound up about it. She enrolled me in a private school operated by the church we attended in those days. I didn't know why at the time, but I liked it because we got three one-hour recesses every day and the public school only had one. Now, I'm just going to interject here. That was third through sixth grade. Back to my article. Two grades shared one teacher. So he would spend half an hour on one side of the room, pointing the third graders in some direction, and then half an hour on the other side of the room with the fourth graders. And that gave us lots of time with no direction. Yeah, we were supposed to be doing our work. But do you think we were? As I sit here, I'm trying to recall just one single thing I was taught in that class, and I cannot. However, I can recall lots of other things that never ended up on a report card. For example, I recall my friend caught a garter snake at recess, and he had it in a box in his desk. I remember him pulling it out in secret and showing it around without the teacher ever being aware. This went on for days. Here's a class photo from a couple of years later. And you'll have to go to the blog to see the class photo. And I do recommend you go look at it if you want to see what I looked like in the sixth grade. Um, I'm pretty sure that was sixth grade. Might have been fifth. I think it's sixth. Anyway, pretty cool picture. Um, you can just read the caption over there. I also recall from the sixth grade a girl who kept walking back and forth outside our classroom door when the teacher was looking elsewhere. And I vividly recall the show she gave the entire class of stunned third graders. So we're third grade, she's sixth grade. Let's just say she was developing a little faster than the other sixth grade girls. And uh, no, she's not in that picture. One other time, I remember asking to go to the library instead of P.E. class. And the teacher said, okay. Think that happens today? I really blew that opportunity, however. Our library was just a small room with maybe a couple hundred books. And I soon got bored and started shoving strips of paper into the electric space heater to see if they would catch fire. My third grade mind did not yet have the ability to predict that someone might smell the smoke from my experiments. When the class came back in, I was met by Mr. Kennedy, who promptly accused me and put me on trial. It all took about two minutes. Then I was sentenced to being whacked two times with his bolo paddle. I recall that he missed on the first whack. I guess I jumped out of the way and he increased the sentence to three whacks. It didn't even hurt, and he knew it. It was all for show. Yes, I could have burned down the school, true, and I deserved the whacks. The point is, whatever we learned in class before or after that are long forgotten. The capital of North Dakota, the highest mountain peak in Africa, who knows, but I can look it up. I might even know the card catalog number.
roughly. It's where to find that information. Back to the mandolin. Yes, you should do whatever you want to do with the materials. Anything less would be fruitless. Maybe for you, at this time, you should glance over them, become completely confused, and not look at them for two years. Maybe for you, at this time, you should blast through the mandolin training camp, exercises 1.1, 2.1, 3.1, etc., and then actually, for real, and I'm not kidding, use the metronome and fill in the progress chart at the back of the book. Perhaps dedicate one hour twice a week to completing this process. For you, maybe that's the thing. Maybe for you, at this time, you should just read Madeline Masterclass. Print it out and keep it on the toilet tank. Just keep reading random pages. Do this for three months. You will no doubt benefit from it. You see, I really can't tell you what to do with this material. And if you have to ask, then you need to examine your own conditioning and think about the things you have learned and how you learned them. Yes, a little hand-holding and snapping a ruler on the music stand can be helpful and effective for beginners, but the mandolin learning system is not for beginners. It is for the mandolin second graders. Beginning mandolin instruction course is for beginners. But even there, you're completely free to ignore all instructions. My best advice is no advice. Here is the best advice I can give you regarding what to read, what to play, what to do next, and in what order. Do what you would have done before you ever went to school. Play in the sandbox. Chew the pages mentally. Try to grab the flashy, brightly colored objects. Do whatever you feel like. Do not wait on some person to come along and play the role of authority figure and tell you what to do. You are the authority figure, and you are in charge. Put red ants in the teacher's drawer. When you understand how a fellow who has played the mandolin since the mid, when you understand how a fellow who has played the mandolin since the mid 1970s, taught lessons since 1982, has written a stack of books on the subject, has filmed over 70 videos on the topic. How you can understand that that fellow can make this statement, I can't teach you how to play the mandolin. Then you will be well on your way to success. When you digest all this, I would appreciate it if you would tell me what I can do to become a better mandolin player. Thinking that way will help you a lot. It has done so for me. Serious note from the author. I hope that you take this guide in the spirit in which it is intended. To which you may say, Oh, great. Now he expects me to be a mind reader. Ah, yes. So it is. Take care and have fun exploring. Signed, Brad. All right, so that's that blog article. Hopefully there's something useful in that for you. Remember, everything is self-taught. You can be instructed and you can have things demonstrated to you by example or or by you know even rigid instruction training like how to take a flat file and file on a piece of iron in shop class or how to change the blade on the bandsaw or you know there are things that can be step by step taught and then you're on your own 
And you don't have to follow those directions. If you do follow them, it'll probably work. If you don't follow them, it may not work, or it might even work better. You see, this is how human progress is made. Human progress is not made by following the rules. It's made by learning the rules and then seeing how far you can bend them. And that creates failures and successes. And then the successes create new ways of doing things and new ideas. I hope you get what I'm saying here. So anyway, that's enough of that. Y'all take care. Talk to you in the next episode. Freight train carried farther on down the track.